Well, brethren, the prophecy of Hosea we covered a couple of weeks ago, uh, as, as with many of, of the minor prophets for Israel then and, and Israel now, as we understand the, the nations of the birthright promises, Ephraim and Manasseh, the, the scattered tribes of Israel, uh, the, the nation that uh, was given the scepter promise, Judah, as we think of Queen Elizabeth II, that is one of the descendants of, uh, of David. Uh, her husband recently died, a longtime uh, servant in, in that respect for the, the country known as we would know in prophecy as Ephraim. But uh, as, as the scepter promise would, would continue, we see that in effect today. But of all these things, of all these things, Hosea gave these people some dire warning road signs, not Bucky's road signs as we talked about last time, but dire warning road signs that they're in big trouble. The idolatry, the spiritual harlotry, the worldliness, the covetousness that we see going on in our world today, and especially in these Israelite nations. The lack of knowledge, and yet at the same time, conversely, becoming more and more prideful in uh, that, that lack of knowledge and not realizing uh, the deterioration of that. Also, the continued backsliding that we see and the instability while living in, hypocr- in hypocrisy. Well, we covered these three last times. These are warning signs for the nations. And a huge part, a significant part of of the role of the church is to to warn, is the warning part of that gospel message for the church to proclaim, repent, turn, believe the gospel. But also these messages that, that Hosea provides for us through God's direct instruction uh, serve as warning signs for the Israel of God, as we talked about the church, uh, those of us who are part of spiritual Israel now. Well, I hope to, to wrap up our discussion today by building on, uh, building upon what we discussed last time. First, uh, to get a little bit better clarity of what's ahead uh, for our, our nation and for uh, the Israelite nations uh, today. But we're going to do it a little bit differently today. We skipped over this last time, but we're going to do this through the eyes of Hosea or through Hosea's life experience. We're going to delve into Hosea's life experience. It is is an amazing situation when you think about what this prophet went through viscerally, what he experienced in his life as he was, in a sense, playing out what he also knew to be God's prophecy for Israel, a country at that time that was, as we talked about last time, experiencing extended growth and wealth and and prosperity. But he was living this this prophecy out of what was going to happen in his own marriage and in his own family. But for me, sometimes as as I think, and I know many, many here are incredibly familiar with the Hosea uh, prophecy, but, but to really think about that, to, to think that this fellow lived this, he experienced this in his marriage, he experienced this uh, with, in, with his family members, uh, his children, in, in looking at this, how this prophecy about his nation 
in which he was also living at the time and experiencing, uh, was about to experience. Incredible, incredible uh, heartache, incredible sadness, this prophet of God who had the spirit of Christ, as uh, is talked about that the prophets had in the New Testament, that, that he did, and all of this was designed as an object lesson for you and me so that we could better grasp not only his heartache and not only our heartache as we see things happening the way they are in the world, but also to grasp God's heart rate, heart rate not heart rate, God's heartache, God's heartache in what God uh, experiences as he sees this. And yet, from this unimaginable sadness, the, the loss, the hurt, the pain, the rejection that, that we see happening here, we also see what comes to be one of the most beautiful, happy endings imaginable. It demonstrates an incredible display of love and devotion, it, and I think we'll discover a few trinkets, a few nuggets for each of us to consider today as, as the church. Let's go back to Hosea 1 and and begin to, to spend a little bit more time in looking at Hosea's life, of what he experienced, how this is, is, was, was playing out in his life. We're going to hit some uh, details here just in the initial portion, verses 2 through 5, uh, that, that are, are fairly detailed, but then we'll start to expand out a bit from that. So bear with me here as we go through some of the initial details. Okay, so uh, Hosea 1 verse 2, we talked about this last time, Hosea 1 verse 2, when uh, the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry. Now, as we discussed last time, whether this was uh, a woman that would go into harlotry, uh, or a woman that was already involved in harlotry uh, is is up for debate. Uh, again, I, I tend to think that it's the former that it was prophesied that it, it was he married her, but she would go into harlotry, as we think of God taking Israel. Uh, but anyway, uh, this uh, this in a sense Israel is his. Uh, prized virgin that he takes and and puts there. But again, as we talked last time, it's immaterial. The the bottom line is, is that there is harlotry that's going to be taking place here. So take uh, take yourself a wife of harlotry and the children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry. The, The land has committed great spiritual adultery God saying, against me, against him, the husband, the Israel is the wife, by departing from the Lord, departing from the Lord and going after, in a sense, other, other lovers. So we see now, as we, as we come to verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, uh, all the way through verse 7, actually verse 8, we'll see these terms, these names uh, that, that play a tremendous significance in, in the picture that he's trying to create for, for uh, Hosea to understand, that he's trying to create for Israel at that time to recognize, and, and in terms of the duality of Scripture, uh, what he's wanting us to understand, not only as the spiritual Israel of God and making sure that we don't get involved in, this, in spiritual adultery, but, but also our nation to this day of how that is going to play out as we near uh, the return of Christ. So he, let's go here now in verse 3. So he took Gomer... 
Gomer is uh, a female, not Gomer Pyle, a different Gomer. Gomer, uh, a female, uh, the, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So the, the Eternal said to him, call this son's name, call this son's name Jezreel. Jezreel is an interesting term. It, it, it references a place. But uh, let's go ahead and read this verse, and then we'll get into some of these details about which I was talking. Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I'm going to avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Yehu. Now, what, what's that have to do with anything? Uh, the house of uh, Yehu, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. God is telling them at that time, they're in a time of prosperity. Hosea's, again, somewhat uh, concurrent with, with uh, Isaiah at that time, but he's saying that the downfall of, of, of the, the kingdom of the house of Israel is, is nearing. It's coming soon. And it, it came. It came. Uh, in the early 720s BC when Assyria uh, took them and and shipped them out so uh, so he says this this is going to come now notice that he doesn't say and bring an end to Israel uh, he doesn't kill everyone he brings an end to the kingdom that the kingdom and the reign uh, uh, of Israel as he scatters them they go up into the the north country and then eventually migrate west and and they're in their locations today but he says i'm going to bring an end to the kingdom of the house of israel and it shall come to pass in that day that i will break the bow of israel you know israel in genesis 49 uh, joseph uh, joseph's bow the archers have shot at him but he remains strong uh, eventually the, the birthright nations would have their bows broken uh, of Israel, and it will happen in the valley of Jezreel. Okay, so, so we, we see several things going on here, and this is where we need to, to step back a second. So Jezreel, that term is, is God will sow. And of these different names that he uses here of the children, the, the three children, Jezreel's name stays the same, but Jez, Jezreel means I, I will sow, I will sow. And, and it can be a negative connotation and it can be a very positive connotation. And in this case, it is very negative. God will sow destruction upon the kingdom of the house of Israel. He, he's the one who causes that through Assyria, the, uh, the, the, Ministers, in a sense, of God's wrath. Assyria served that 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 uh, that responsibility. He sowed destruction on uh, on Israel, and uh, and through that sowing of that, they were scattered. Uh, so he says, "Call his name Jezreel, for for I'm going to not only that, but he says I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu." Now, so, so that creates an interesting discussion. Okay, how does Yehu get involved in this? Yehu was a king of Israel, uh, and, and he had a role to play. Do you remember Yehu's uh, significant role that he played back in the, the period of the kings? It comes back to, uh, in part, a, a situation that was triggered in Jezreel. Jezreel is the, the northern area 
out uh, in, in what was called Samaria, where the northern kingdom was, uh, and, and in the, the valley of Jezreel, in that area, was where the, the throne uh, of the northern kingdom was. Uh, at the time, Ahab was king. And Ahab, as he looked across from, from his area, he looked across and he saw this vineyard. And we know whose vineyard it was. It was Naboth's. And I, I love that vineyard. I want that vineyard. So he goes and uh, talks with, uh, with uh, Naboth and uh, seeks to secure that, uh, that, that vineyard. I give you a very good deal, a uh, very good price. Uh, Naboth said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to sell the vineyard to you. Uh, and so, uh, Ahab comes back and he's all down and out and he's talking to, to Jezebel who has his best interests at heart. Uh, but anyway, talks to Jezebel. I want my vineyard. I don't have my vineyard. He's sad and downtrodden. He's only the king of, of the northern uh, tribes, uh, but, but he can't get that vineyard. She says, well, I can, I can take care of that. It'll be all right. So she rises up, uh, causes uh, uh, false accusers to rise up and, and claim uh, all kinds of injustices that Naboth has done. Naboth is strung up or killed in some fashion. And oh, look, your vineyard, it's, it's there. there. Go ahead. You can take it now, Ahab. So he takes it. That takes place in Jezreel. And God, uh, as a result of, of, of that particular action, uh, and again, uh, all of Ahab's other deeds, said, your kingdom, your, your dynasty, Ahab, is going to come down and it's going to come down very hard. <laughs> On you, so uh, Yehu. Then, uh, when Ahab was killed in battle, uh, now uh, Jezebel is still alive, and here comes Yehu, God's instrument to bring down Ahab's line, and uh, he, as the instrument of God, uh, brought down. Yehu's line. It brought down on, on the descendants, brought down on Jezebel. Jezebel had a very uh, uh, interesting way of dying, as most of you are aware. Not a very pleasant uh, death for Jezebel. But, but God used Yehu as an instrument uh, of God, his instrument, to, to fulfill what he had prophesied uh, that had happened in the Jezreel Valley. But, but let's come back to verse 4. It says, but at the same time it says, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jeze uh, Jezreel on the house of Yehu. Well, okay, so wait, why, why is this coming down on Yehu? Now, Feinberg, the, one of the just very uh, fine uh, historians and, and uh, writers on the minor prophets makes this interesting point about Yehu. This, this represents one of the great governing principles of God here. Although Yehu was an instrument of God for a visitation and punishment, uh, uh, a visitation on punishment deserving Ahab in his dynasty, nevertheless, God required it of Yehu because his heart was not right and because he had personal ambitions contrary to the mind of God. So you think about that, what, what his motivations for doing, why he did what he did. Yes, he did one of the things that God was, was prophesying and, and that would come to, to pass. He made sure that happened. But, but Yehu had all of these other motivations behind it that were, that were not of God and did not turn things around as, as he should have. Uh, and, and was very much internally driven 
for a lot of the, the things that he wanted to do, very selfishly motivated. And we see this happening as well in, in various kingdoms. Like, like you say, uh, Assyria was the instrument of God's wrath, but in other passages of the Bible, it talks about Assyria saying, well, we've done this, we've had this power, we've done, and, and, and so they continued in their cruelty. Even though they were instruments of God's wrath, they were not followers of God. And God holds them accountable as well. That's a bit of an aside, but this speaks to this situation of, of Jezreel being in a sense like the key valley where the ruling area was of all of the northern tribes. Assyria came in and took them out and God sowed destruction on uh, the, the kingdom. And as a result, the northern tribes were scattered. Uh, so here I am, Hosea, and that's the name of my firstborn son. And that's the, 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 the situation as I, as I think about that. My wife has gone into harlotry, and, and here is my, is my firstborn son uh, that God will sow destruction uh, and in, in scattering. Yehu's dynasty, uh, as we that aside, I'll just continue that. His, his dynasty lasted uh, four generations, and then his dynasty was cut off when uh, King, King Zechariah was killed by Shalom in front of all the people. Uh, Israel, the wife of God, future tense, because of spiritual adultery, because of spiritual harlotry, as we see the end-time nations and in our, our, our country around us that, that has that birthright promise, Israel will be sown in, dis in destruction. It will be sown in, God will sow in a scattering that will take place uh, to bring, uh, again, this, this, this downfall of, of the kingdom of the house of Israel. We know that to be Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble, as it talks about in, in Jeremiah, that time is coming when, when God will sow destruction upon uh, the, the countries of the birthright promise. Look at Hosea 1, verse 6, as we look at the next one. Hosea 1, verse 6, he says, And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Now, you look at, over at Hosea 2, verse 4, where it, a, a prophecy that we read last time, where it says, I will not have mercy on her children, for they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot, she who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I will go after my, my lovers. So sometimes it's, it's wondered here uh, whether or not this, this daughter uh, that was born uh, to her next was actually of Hosea or if it was a, a daughter of harlotry. But regardless, this daughter's name, verse 6, is called Lo Ruhama, meaning no pity or no mercy, uh, not... Uh, uh, not, not no mercy, but no pity or, or not loved uh, for this. And actually, no mercy is, a, is an aspect of this as well. Not loved, not, not pitied, not having mercy. So here I am, Hosea, my, my second child is, is named no mercy, no pity upon this person uh, and, and, and not, not loved as, the, as is brought out here. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Uh, talks about delaying that with, with Judah. But verse 8, now we come to the third one. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruama, she conceived and bore a son, and then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, not my people. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. 
So here, imagine being Hosea, being in this situation of, a, of an adulterous wife, uh, living in that realm, and then your children have these names. And, and I, I wonder, what were, what were the dynamics like of that relationship and the turmoil uh, that was going on there? But, but just as, as we think about this, the future of this nation as things worsen, to consider to be in a situation where there is a scattering, there is uh, no mercy, no pity uh, upon uh, the people of the land, and also to where God says, you're not, you're not my people. You're, I, I'm, you're not my people. I'm distancing myself uh, from you. Let's turn to uh, Isaiah 9. You know, these, these represent the consequences, the penalties for Israel or the placed upon Israel for rejecting God and his knowledge. This, this, this is what is coming, uh, prophesied in so many different places in the Bible. But this, this spiritual harlotry and this pride while rejecting, while rejecting God. We don't need God. Do we really need God? We, we want to go our own way. We're powerful. We're mighty as a nation. Look at verse... Uh, uh, Eight of Isaiah 9. I want to just read here 13 or 14 verses. As, as we read this and we recognize the, the duality of, of Scripture, the duality of, of that time there during, during their lives in, in a time of prosperity and expansion, in a time in, in our nation, as we talked last time, where we're, we're experiencing still prosperity and abundance and yet we see the, the signs of decay underneath. L- look at this passage here, and, and, and let's see if we can draw some parallels. You know, Isaiah 9 is a beautiful chapter. It's one that we, we read often at the feast, uh, but typically we don't go to the verses afterwards, uh, starting in verse 8, because they're, it, it's the non-millennial uh, kinds of verses, but these are very powerful prophecies and, and I think have great import as, and, and give us great insight as God's people as we see what's going on in our nation today, in, in these birthright nations of the world. Uh, this, uh, the term here is Adonai uh, for Lord, but uh, the Lord, Adonai, sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know Ephraim, Ephraim, the, uh, one of the, the key nations, the one, the, one of the sons of, of Joseph who received the birthright promise along with Manasseh. But uh, Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, Samaria was that land where the northern, uh, northern tribes were, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks, I know the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are, are cut down, but we'll replace them with cedars. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and spur his enemies on. That's what is actually going to happen, he says. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. We can rebuild. We'll we'll do these things. It'll, It'll be great. It'll be powerful. We're a strong people. May I say this? May I say this right now? We can make America great again. Uh, which, which side takes that position? 
We can transform America into what it should be and what it needs to be. Which side of the, of the parties uh, takes that position? Uh, we can rebuild this. We can do this. That is the state of our nation. Is it not? Is it not? That is the state of our nation. Yet what does God say should be the state of our nation? What should be the mindset of, of our nation? What should be the mindset of God's people as we see this nation in which we live? What should be our mindset? He says where it should be in verse 13. This is the essence. This is the essence where we as God's people must be. This is the essence of where our nation is not. And it's not going to be until God turns things around at the return of Christ. Here's, here's what needs to happen. We can build, what, sycamores are cut down? We'll, we'll get the cedars. We'll get that. We'll make it great again. No, we'll, we'll transform this. We'll, we don't have this. We'll transform it to this. It'll be better. Verse 13, for the people do not turn to him who strikes them. Don't turn to the great creator. That's what, that's what we're about as God's people. Turn to, let's, turn to our creator. Turn to your creator. That's part of the, the warning mes- message that we give as a church. Turn to your great creator. Uh, and, you know, again, uh, repent for salvation is at hand. Turn to your creator, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. They don't seek him out. We know that, that God must call. We have, must call. We have a responsibility as a church to proclaim that, to repent and believe the gospel. There is a kingdom that is coming and, and turn, be a part of that. Nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Which, which party is saying we must seek the Lord of hosts? We must turn to him. We must seek him. Uh, that's, that's not what this world is about. That's not what this nation is about. But that is what we are about. And, and we don't want to hide or shirk uh, from that responsibility in any way. Continuing verse 14, so the Lord will cut them off. The eternal will cut them off. Uh, he'll cut off head and he'll cut off tail from Israel. Palm branch and bulrush in one day. It will come quickly. We don't know how long that one day is, but when it falls and when it comes, when it comes, as other prophecies talk about in, in Zechariah and other places, it, it happens very quickly. The elder and honorable, he is the head. The prophet who teaches lies, he's the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. Therefore, the Lord, uh, Adonai here, uh, will have no joy in their young men. This is, uh, again, tying to one of the names of, of the children of Hosea. Nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly, speaks foolishness. For all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Still stretching out for wickedness burns as the fire. It devours the briars and thorns and kindle in the, in the thickets of the forest. They shall mount up like rising smoke through the wrath of the eternal of hosts. The land is burned up and the people shall be as fuel for the fire. No man shall spare his brother and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry and, and he shall devour on the left hand and not be satisfied. Every man shall eat the flesh of his own arm. 
Not a beautiful picture. And then we see another prophecy here uh, that God's people need to be watching and, and looking and seeing evidence of. It, it's, it's out there. We see the seeds of that already in, in various aspects of, of, uh, of distance that is, is, is prophesied to happen between these brothers and also uh, upon the children of Judah. Verse 21, Manasseh shall devour Ephraim, and Ephraim Manasseh, and together they shall be against Judah. We see aspects of anti-Semitism and such, and, and the turning of, of, of the brothers, uh, turning of brothers against brothers. It's, uh, you know, it's fascinating just to think in the where our nation was in, say, the 40s after, after the war, and, and making a determination of here are these people that have been uh, annihilated and obliterated and, and creating a, a homeland for them in Israel. And, and brethren, again, I, I realize the, the geopolitical challenges that, that would have been in place there because you have a people whose homeland was there at that time, and, and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're telling this other people that they can come in and make this their homeland again and, and why those challenges are, are still there and, and, the, the, and, and how that will continue in, until the return of Christ. But, but we see this, uh, but be watching for that increasing anti-Semitism between uh, Manasseh, Ephraim, and then towards, towards Judah. It's there, uh, those, those are there uh, around us uh, today. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is still stretched out. Let's look at Isaiah 10, verse 1. We'll just read that here just for, for a second and consider this. Just, just one, one element, again, prophecy-wise, that we see happening uh, today. You know, as, as, he, as he talked about before, about the need to turn to the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. Seek the Lord of hosts in terms of what does, what does he teach? What, what, what are his ways? And, and, and how should we live our lives? He's saying, go that direction. That's where the answer is. And yet, here's what we're going to continue to see more and more uh, in verse 1. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees. Think, think of, our, of our nation itself just now, and you can pick so many different things of, of these decrees that are coming out. And just a small thing, and I don't want to beat a dead horse on this, but a small thing on, on just the, the way of gender identity of, of can I say he, can I say she, do I have to wait until the person identifies himself or herself as she, and that is showing respect and honor and this and that, and to, to look at someone and, and see that this person appears to be a she and, and then say ma'am or, or her or she or a pronoun uh, is the decrees are being made that, that you need to look at this differently. This needs to be approached in this way. That's just a small little thing. But, but it's important for us as God's people to see these, these things that are happening that are, that are so contrary to God's basic word and, and God's basic tenets that it sickens us, it, it saddens us, it, it causes us to, to have that hurt that Hosea felt for his wife for turning away. It causes us to have that hurt that God has for his people, his wife uh, that turned away from him. 
Well, like we discussed last time, as, as the Israel of God, as, as the church, this, this must remain our focus. Uh, repent, turn to God, believe the gospel, the good news of his incredible calling, the, the, the incredible blessing of the Son of God, the sacrifice of his Son, the kingdom of God that is coming to the earth, uh, ushered in by his Son, the removal of the God of this world, the setting up of, of, of a changing of the hearts that God goes in and begins to circumcise the hearts of mankind and the restoration of all things leading to eternal life in, in the God family. That, 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 is, that is what we're about. That is what God is about as he looks... Uh, to his people Israel as he looks to all of the world. Hosea lived these things in his marriage and, and he watched this in his country with heartache. We watch the, the ongoing degradation of, of the true worship of God, the, the spiritual harlotry, the degradation of even a belief system that, that, that needs to be followed to where we're in a, in a nation that is moving more and more in, into a greater and greater uh, mindset of it's all relative relativism there there are no absolutes you can't go you can't what that is so pea brain minded to go to this bible and say that it says to do this so i need to do this no it's relative it's all relative uh, every every nation has its own way its own cultural re relativism look they they have their own way of doing things that's good that's 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 good for them it's good for them uh, this is good for me over here to to move and and see more and more of the nation moving away from that. We watch this, and we watch this with great sadness, and it hurts God. God is hurt by this as he sees this. God loves Israel. Uh, Israel uh, was his wife, as, as he brings out in imagery. Let's go to Jeremiah 2. How does God view this? Again, as we, as we said earlier, we are striving to to see the world, we are striving to see Israel, we are striving to see ourselves, we are striving to see the church through God's eyes, through God's mindset, the mind of God. This centers us, this, this grounds us. Let's go to Jeremiah <clears throat> Jeremiah 2. Of course, Jeremiah was prophesying at the, the end of the stage of the southern kingdom before they went into captivity uh, to the Babylonians. But uh, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 2, verse 1, we'll read verses 1 through 13. Jeremiah 2, verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Eternal came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember you. He's speaking to, to the kingdom that's left right now, uh, Judah, but... In, in a sense, to all Israel. He says, I remember you, the, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness, you know, God, God drew them out of the, of the land of Egypt and, and brought them to himself. They, they went out after him into this wilderness in a land not sown, but, but they followed him and, and he, drew, he drew them out to him. And, and he looks back on that with, with great fondness, the, the love and joy of bringing, uh, of bringing this, this mate to him, be, be, betrothing himself to, to uh, that whole process of what that was like, the love of your betrothal. He says in a land not sown, verse 3, Israel was holiness to the eternal. Israel was the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend 
Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Verse 4, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. Jacob, a term for Israel, uh, as it says here, and all the families of the house of Israel use these terms interchangeably. He says, listen to this. This is what the Eternal says. He says, as, as, in a sense, as Hosea is looking to his wife, Gomer, and what she had done to him, he, he, he's saying the same to Israel. Well, what injustice have you found, have your fathers found in me, God is saying, that, that they've gone far from me? What injustice has they found that they've turned completely from me, that they followed idols and become idolaters? Neither did they say, well, where is the Lord? Where is he? We we want to find him. No, they didn't even say that. Who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? Where where is he? They weren't looking. Who led us through the wilderness, through, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. He reminds them, listen, I brought you into a bountiful country, my bride, so that you could eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and you made my heritage an abomination. The priests didn't say, where's the Lord? And those who handle the law, they they didn't know me. My law was so they, they could know me, but they didn't handle those who handle the law didn't know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Eternal, and against your children's children I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar and and consider diligently and see if there's been such a thing. Has there ever been a nation that's changed its gods (laughs) to gods which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not even profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, and be, and be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, this, this being who is the fountain of all living waters, they've forsaken me, and instead they've hewn themselves cisterns. And which are incidentally broken cisterns that can't even hold water. That's the state of, uh, was the state of Judah then. That was the state of Israel before it fell. That is the state in the duality of prophecy of where our nation is going. It hurts God. It hurts him to see that. He's deeply saddened by that. His bride who has turned from him. Well, I'd like to, in the time remaining, uh, let's transition to the happy ending now, okay? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the happy ending. And hopefully what will be a few little trinkets or a few little nuggets for us as God's people as time moves forward. You know, Scripture talks about the plan, doesn't it? It talks about the plan. The beast power, the false prophet are going to come on the scene uh, Europe is going to unite under this false religion that uh, uh, gives it its power uh, through the false prophet, and they sweep down in a very short period of time and take over the Holy Land. There's a three and a half year period that, that triggers, as scripture talks about, once they come to the Holy Land and, and uh, rule things from there. The two witnesses, God's uh, true two witnesses, come on the scene, and they're working opposite of, of, these, uh, of the beast and the false prophet, and 
representing God's way and they have great power. And this evil force uh, representing, representing Satan's way has tremendous power. The captivity, the, the, the time of Jacob's trouble begins. Jacob, Israel, uh, goes into captivity. They're scattered and, and the kingdoms fall in terms of the, the power and their might. We see some, some Christians are taken to her place where she's nourished for this time. Other Christians are martyred. Heavenly signs occur, and people wonder, what is going on? And then we see seven trumpet plagues. And then of the seventh trumpet, seven plagues come out from that. Armies gather to fight as the, the, the Hordes from the north and the east come down to fight the beast power that's gathered uh, there at Jerusalem. And they're coming down to fight one another. They gather in the, the valley of Megiddo, uh, Armageddon, and they come down to fight. And as they come down to fight, they come to the valley of decision, the valley of Jehoshaphat. And as they come down, they look up and here, here is something coming from the sky. It's a bright light. And uh, there is a, a, a being on a white horse that has a sword coming out of his mouth. And he's followed by uh, hordes and hordes of angelic realm. And he's also followed by those that have been raised to meet him in the air and are gathered with Christ to follow him wherever he goes. The dead in Christ, those who are alive at his coming, join him. And he comes down with all of his saints and with, with the angelic realm and he defeats the armies of Satan. He shatters them, devastates them, death everywhere. And he grabs the beast and the false prophet and throws them immediately into the lake of fire. And then he has his uh, individuals who are working with him to grab Satan and the demons and place them in the abyss for a thousand years. Jesus Christ, this great powerful being with his saints, with the angelic realm, sets up his throne in Jerusalem. He sets it up on Mount Zion. And then Jesus Christ begins to draw his wife and his children. These, this, these, this physical people, that, that this incredible God who covenanted with them, who loves them dearly, who did not forget them, starts to gather them in, these beaten down people that have been scattered out. Maybe one-tenth, as prophecy may indicate, one-tenth of them still alive after all of the devastation. He gets them and, and her children and begins to bring them back to him, the remnant who survived. Look at Hosea 3, verse 1. Hosea 3, verse 1. Hosea 3, 1, 1. Then the Lord said to me, go again, he says to Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Uh, now, different commentaries will, will discuss this differently. I, I think that the RSV margin uh, renders it appropriately. Several uh, agree with this, but uh, this lover can be translated in different ways. Uh, but uh, one is, as, as I think New King James Margin renders it as well, friend or husband. I, I think that it's, it's dealing more with the husband. Go, he says, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband. 
Who is the husband? The, the husband is Hosea. Uh, his wife has committed adultery, and she's over here in harlotry, and he's saying, go, and, go, husband, and get that woman and bring her back to you. You love her. Because uh, we see contextually that this is the same thing that's going on with God as he gets these children of Israel and begins to bring them back. It says, and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, the husband who goes back and grabs them and brings, starts bringing them back uh, to him. Those who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. I always wondered about that. The raisin, I, I like raisin cakes. And I think that would be really good, but I, I don't know what the raisin cakes of the pagans are. I'm not, I'm not like tempted. I just want you to know that. But I wonder what these raisin cakes are. But uh, I would not let myself be tempted by raisin cakes of the pagans. But anyway, so, so, but go back and bring them back in. And it says, verse 2, so I bought her for myself. He buys back his wife for 15 shekels of silver. Well, a slave, to buy a slave back then cost 30 shekels of silver. She has debased herself to the point where it's only 15 to, to get her back. Uh, and he said, I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. Don't play the harlot nor shall you have a man, so too will I be towards you. I will be faithful to you. I will, I will be connected to you. I, I think of that passage that we read back in Deuteronomy uh, a couple of weeks ago, in Deuteronomy 28, how the Lord, it says, he takes them back to Egypt in ships, they're in, they're in captivity, and then they, they want to be offered as, as male and female slaves, uh, but they're so debased that they won't, they won't even buy them. No one will buy them. That's, that's how despicable uh, the nations of Israel will be viewed at, 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 this, at this time. But God, who loves his children, who loves this physical nation, buys them back and starts to bring them to him. Look at Hosea 2, verse 7. <clears throat> Hosea 2, verse 7. Yeah, we, we touched on this last time. So he says, uh, you know, she'll, she'll chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but she won't find them. But then she will say, as, as all of this plays out, she will begin to say, you know what? I am going to go and return to my first husband. <laughs> God, the, the one who brought them out of Egypt. I'm, I'm going to go back to, to that, to him. For then it was better for me than now. Uh, so she, she recognizes, ah, yes, there, there was this. I have been so caught up in this, but I'm going to go and return to my first husband. Hosea 6, verse 1. Hosea 6, verse 1. <coughs> Hosea 6, 1, come, let, it, let us return to the eternal, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he'll bind us up. For after two days, he'll revive us. On the third day, he'll raise us up that we may live in his sight. And let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the eternal. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former uh, rain to the earth, the rains that take place in the fall uh, as, they, as they sow the ground and, and, uh, and, and then the, the rains that come in the spring as it helps that, that uh, seed take root and, and grow. That's how he'll come to us. 
Look at uh, Hosea 1 verse 10 now. Hosea 1 verse 10. We see the, the opposite of this happening. The, these names that were no mercy, these names that were, these are not my people, these names that of God will sow destruction and scatter them everywhere. We see the opposite beginning to take place as Jesus Christ returns to the earth, sets up his kingdom, and starts drawing uh, this, this remnant back to him as a faithful husband. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass. Hosea 1, uh, still in verse 10 now. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, lo am I, or lo ami. Then it shall be said to them, No, you are the sons of the living God. Verse 11, Then the children of Judah, who had, had been at it with the children of Israel, Verse 11, uh, children of Judah and the children of Israel, they'll all be gathered together. All 12 tribes that are left, they'll be gathered together and they'll appoint for themselves one head. Jesus Christ is that head. Jesus Christ who sets up David, resurrected David as other passages talk about to, to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. And they shall come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Jezreel now has that positive name. God will sow them back into the land. He loves them. He has not forgotten them. He brings them back into the land. Verse 1, chapter 2, Say to your brethren, say to your brothers and sisters, Judah, Israel, say to them, uh, say to them, my people, they are God's people. Am, am I, not lo am I. And to your sisters, not lo ruama, but ruama, mercy is shown. God begins wooing his people back to him. Uh, Hosea 2, verse 14. Hosea 2, verse 14, just across the page for me. He, just like he did with what we read in Jeremiah when he wooed them and brought them out uh, out of Egypt and, and, and looked after them and, and wanted them to remember him uh, for doing that. Now he says again this, this future time of when he begins to, to bring them back to him. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I'll, I'll, I'll persuade her with endearing words. This, this wife of mine, and I'll, I'll bring her into the wilderness again, just like he brought her into the wilderness out of Egypt. He'll bring her to him, and I'll speak comfort to her. I'll speak upon her heart, literally is what that means. I'll give her her vineyards from there. In the valley of Achor, where, where Achan uh, troubled uh, God and troubled the house of Israel for his idolatry, but no, I'll give the valley of Achor, and it will be as a door of, of hope to everybody. She shall sing there, as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt, as they sang praises to God, as, as they saw their, their captors who came after them destroyed in, in, in the Red Sea. And it shall be in that day, verse 16 says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, Ishi. This tender relationship, the marriage of, of Yahweh, uh, Christ who led Israel uh, out of Egypt, the rock, the marriage to Israel. You will call me, call Jesus Christ, husband, and no longer call me master, Bali, Lord or master uh, of, of the woman who's purchased 
for I will take her from the mouth of the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I'm going to make a covenant for them. And I'll make a covenant with the birds of the field, the beasts of the, the, uh, the birds of the air, the beasts of the fields, and with the creeping things of the ground of the earth. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. Incredible imagery of, of Christ wooing Israel back to him, of, of coming back into that relationship. Okay, so in the last little bit here, I, I, I want to spend some time with what I think, I think, brethren, this is one of the most beautiful passages in the book of Hosea. It, it is my favorite passage. It's, it's verses 19 through 23. There is, there is so much treasure in this. Treasure as we look at the prophecy of what God is going to do with Israel. Treasure in what God is doing with us as, as his bride now. Uh, treasure for us as husbands and wives in this congregation to take a look at this as, a, as, as whether it is a description of our marriage. It, it, it brings a, about a, a lot of thought and consideration as we reflect on, on our marriages uh, and as we reflect upon God's relationship with his people. Let's go here now, this, this prophecy. Hosea 2, verse 19 Hosea 2, verse 19, he says, I will betroth you, God says this, I will betroth you to me forever. These beaten down people that are coming back, he's going to betroth them to him forever, forever. I, I think of, uh, we've got a, a, two couples right now, one, one in uh, this congregation and one in the Sherman congregation, uh, two individuals, four individuals, but to each that that are betrothed to one another, and and it is a it is a very happy time for them as they're as they're looking forward to to what marriage will be the the connection that they will have the the reality that they will not go forward in life as as two separate people but but to come into this relationship uh, till death do them part uh, as as it says here I will betroth you to me forever. As we reflect on our lives, uh, we reflect on being that chaste virgin that is looking toward that, that marriage to come uh, in, in, our, in our spirit existence, which comes at the return of Christ. This is a forever kind of thing. Yes, verse 19, I will betroth you to me. I'm going to do this, he says. I'm going to do it. And then look at these, these components. We see four, and then we see one more added. I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in rightness. I'll, I'll do it in justice. I'll do it in loving kindness. Now, loving kindness is that word that Mr. Johnson spent some time with last time, chesed, that, that whole uh, understanding of this tender, loving, favorable disposition toward her, kindness. In loving kindness and in mercy, yes, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Men, as, as you look at this, men who are married, would you characterize the, the nature of your relationship with your spouse as one that is in righteousness, rightness, serving God in rightness, justice, that the truth and what is right and just takes, takes precedence? Is it a, a, 
a relationship in which there is a tender, loving, favorable disposition towards your wife? And is it one in, in which there is mercy? Because, brethren, we need mercy. Your wife needs mercy, needs your mercy. And is it one that is in total faithfulness, a total dedication to them, that just as, as we strive to be, to be faithful and, and follow through in everything in our marriage, we see God's faithfulness to Israel in, in bringing them back and restoring that relationship as a husband-wife relationship should be. What about the wives that are here? Is, is, is your relationship with your husband characterized in righteousness? Is righteousness a key component? Justice, a loving kindness, a tenderness towards, towards, towards your husband? Or is there a roughness at times? Is it, is it a tender, kind, loving, uh, favorable dis- disposition towards your husband? And is it one that is a total dedicated faithfulness to him? Because he says here at the end of verse 20, through all of that, through those key components, not only do we know our wives through that, not only do the wives know their husbands in the way that they are to know them through those key components being an integral part of their marriage, through that, on a spiritual sense, as, as it is sown in that, as it is Jezreeled into that, this betrothal in that, we know the Lord. Israel will then know the Lord. Think about these five attributes and how they represent the way that God becomes betrothed to Israel. These... As, as I try to consider that, I, try, I think, what, what a change. What an amazing change. What an amazing transformation. What a marriage. What, what a powerful marriage this is to be. What an example that marriage, as he brings that people back and, and begins to work with this beaten down people and honors her and treats her in the way that he does, and she responds to him in that way. What a light. You know, we just watched the, the video. What a light to the world. This, this is how God brings the world to him through that example of that incredibly powerful, righteous marriage filled with justice, tenderness, mercy, and faithfulness. Through that, he teaches the whole world about his way of life and begins bringing all the world to him for that relationship. These five characteristics will serve as the foundation for whether the two couples that I mentioned uh, who are betrothed to one another whether they will come to know one another in the incredible way, the incredible blessing that they can potentially experience as husband and wife. Let's uh, keep your finger there and turn uh, quickly to uh, a passage in 2 Corinthians. Some of you are ahead of me on this as I referenced it just briefly before, but it speaks to us now. when you look at those characteristics, when we look at those five characteristics, does this characterize your relationship with God now? Does this characterize my relationship with God now? 
are, are we betrothed to God in righteousness, justice, loving kindness, mercy, and, and, and faithfulness? 2 Corinthians 10, verse, verse 17, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It, what we've been given, we are so humbled by what we've been given. We don't deserve this, yet God has chosen to call us, the weak of the world, into his truth and into this way of life, into this betrothal to him. And in doing so, we don't say, look at us, we're superstars. We say, look at us, we're the weak of the world, we're the feeble of the world, but God, because he loves us, has chosen to call us now, so we glory in the, in the Lord for that. For not he who commends himself is approved, but, but whom the Lord commends. Verse 1, 11, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. He says, because as Paul looks at Corinth, he says this, for I am jealous for you. I am jealous for you in a sense as, as a husband for, for a wife with, with godly jealousy because he says, I have betrothed you to one husband. I, I am so intensely focused on this that we don't steer from this in any way. I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. May this not be so with us. You know, Scripture, scripture doesn't tell us whether that ever occurred in Hosea's marriage to Gomer. I don't know how that got worked out. I don't know if it did get worked out. I don't know how things ended with the children, if, if that was the case. Let's go to Hebrew, back to Hosea and finish up now. Hosea 2, verse 21. Hosea 2, verse 21. After he says, and you shall know the Lord. Verse 21, it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. This is what I'll say. I'll answer the heavens and, the, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain and with new wine and with oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. God will sow. God will sow. He's sowing righteousness, sowing all of these things, sowing abundance in every way. And he says, then I will sow her, speaking of, of Jezreel, speaking of Israel, I'll sow her for myself in the earth. And then he has this, this term of mercy. I will have mercy on her on the one who had not obtained mercy, Ruama, mercy. And I will say to those people who were not my people, the low I am I, I will say to them, you are my people, and how will they respond? And they shall say, you are my God. For those of us who are married today, consider these components, uh, com consider these characteristics. Do these characteristics characterize your marriage? This represents God's incredible faithfulness to his bride, Israel. When I think of God's enduring love for and the faithfulness to Israel and God's enduring love and faithfulness to us now as the Israel of God and their response to him in the future and hopefully what will be our response to him now, I can't help but title the message, and they lived happily ever after.